Thanks, Charmaine and the Jickling family. Good morning, church. It's great to be here together and to have you join us online as this fall we push the reset button. And last week we started a, just a new, short, three-part series of messages on the values and priorities that we have as a church going into this, into this new season of ministry. And we're really inviting you to examine some of your own priorities and the things that you give your time and attention to. The general call in all of this is for us to just to go deeper, to put down roots, to build a solid foundation. And of course, that doesn't happen with just one message, but it can happen over time when each of us commits to going deeper in our relationship with Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And so last week, we considered the priority of community and committing ourselves to finding a place to belong. We were reminded that the church is not when and where, but rather who and what. The church are those who have been called out, and they've been called together as God's family to declare, or and together they've been given the responsibility then to declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. I'd encourage you, if you missed the message last week, to go back and have a listen and just track with us uh, through this short series. But I want to begin today where I left off last week, with a quote from Wes Roberts and Glenn Marshall's book, Reclaiming God's Original Intent for the Church. They write this, As a community, we are called to make sense of the gospel to the watching world. When people want to know what it's like to live under the reign of God, they ought to be able to point to the Christian community and say, that's what it's like. Now listen to this. He says, How we live with one another and relate to the rest of the world is crucial to the purposes of the kingdom of God. Sounds a lot like declaring the praises of him who called you. In the quote, did you notice the line, how we live with one another? That's community. That's the family that we talked about last week. But the phrase that follows, how we then relate to the rest of the world, is is speaking now to the priority of mission, as how we interact with the world. And the challenge of speaking on these major, big, overarching themes like community last week and mission this week, and next week, Pastor Adam will look at this broad category of discipleship. I mean, they're all so broad, and there's so much written, so much material, that it's very difficult to just distill it down into one short, relatively short message. And again, I just want to turn our attention to the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Focus on the apostles' teaching, that is, they gave themselves to the study of the Word or the Bible. They gave themselves to prayer and to worship, to serving, to, to living in community, to meeting in the temple courts, gathering together in a public gathering, and then meeting in homes together. Caring for one another, caring for the needs of the community. And what they had was this beautiful community that was so attractive that, the, that Luke records this. He says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So just by their very presence, just by the very things that they were doing, that they were called to do, God was bringing more people to be part of that community. And so absolutely, how we live with one another and relate to the rest of the world is absolutely crucial for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And so let's start there. Just think about God a little bit and what he's up to. I want to talk just very briefly about the mission of God. Because if we're going to talk about this overarching theme of mission, we have to start by actually think, talking about the mission of God. And I'm indebted to a lecture that I listened to on this topic by John Mark Comer. Uh, I'll just briefly summarize his three big ideas. And number one is this, that we have to understand that God is a missionary God. So when we think about mission, we have to remember that it starts with who God is. And a quick overview of the Bible is simply this, that God had this big plan, a grand narrative that started with creation. And so God created everything. He created humanity to honor and to glorify him. And when you read Genesis 1 and 2, the word that describes the scene in the garden there is peace. Everything was just the way that God intended it to be. Humanity would flourish, living joyfully in the presence of God. And then you had the fall, where something terribly goes wrong. God's plan goes sideways. Sin enters the world and the experience of us as humans. they, They rejected God's rule over them. And they were faced with the consequences of that rebellion. But ever since then, God had this plan of redemption. That this is the the hope of the good news. That God sets this plan in motion. And he's all about redeeming the world and ultimately rescuing fallen sinners. And in order to do that, God sends his son, Jesus, to his earth to renew the world and restore his people. And he does this then ultimately, as we probably know this by now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that was his plan of redemption, to rescue us, to redeem us. But it doesn't end there. Part of his plan then is for restoration. Because God has promised to renew the whole world. Jesus will return to judge sin and evil, and he'll usher in righteousness and peace again. And the world will be restored to that peaceful state that God had originally intended. And so quite simply, as we think about God being a missionary God, is that he sends his son, the son sends the spirit, the spirit sends the church, and we as his followers have the wonderful opportunity to participate in the life of God, all of what he's up to. He has a plan, and he invites us to be part of that plan. And his plan, and this is the second thing we can say about the mission of God, is that his plan is to bring healing and renewal to all of creation. And so, as I said, the Bible is God's story. All of the authors, some 40 authors, 66 books, but they're all telling one story. And that it's the story of redemption. And then after redemption comes restoration. Because God wants to restore his creation what he originally intended it to be. And so he brings about healing and renewal. He restores peace. But this time not ultimately in a garden, but in a city. And the Bible talks about this as being a new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. 
and all is made right again. But here's the best part. Because the third thing we can say about the mission of God is this, that the way that God wants to bring healing and renewal is through a missionary people. Because not only is the church called out and called together, but they're given a purpose, a what? And that is to be a missionary people. In, in 1 Peter, we looked at this verse last week, but it, it talks there about their purpose then is to declare the praises of him who called you up. So our role as followers of Jesus is simply that, to glorify God, to enjoy him forever, and to tell other people and invite them into this great story. And so God's people, you and I, we're his agents, we're his conduit of God's healing in the world. So the church itself is not an end. It's not about building a bigger church. But it is a means to what God is up to in the world. And he calls the church to join him and participate in this mission. Now, perhaps you've heard the statement, the church is the hope of the world. Have you heard that before? The church is the hope of the world. And sometimes people will say, well, no, that's not exactly true. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. But really, both are true. Jesus is the hope of the world, but the church has the responsibility to share that message. And that message is the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died so that we might be brought into relationship with, with God. That things would be made right. And that there would be redemption. This is pictured beautifully and clearly in Isaiah 52, verse 7, which was read for us earlier. Listen to these words again. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Okay? He's talking about those that are going to proclaim the good news. How beautiful is it? And it's not just that they're proclaiming the good news. They're going to proclaim peace. They bring good tidings who proclaim salvation, who, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So we declare his praises. And the church is tasked with this mission of the proclamation of peace and salvation. And I believe it's really important for us in this season to remind ourselves again about the story of the mission of God. And that we would come to seek healing and renewal of all the things that were originally good. And so when there are things that break the heart of God, they should break ours too. And what breaks God's heart is that things aren't at all the way that he intended them to be. So he's against injustice. He's against racism. He's he's against hunger and poverty. He's for the care of widows and orphans. And when we're involved in things like that, we're participating in the very things that that, uh, bring God's peace to our world. And for so many people who just look at these issues as these huge, overwhelming things, and they think, well, there's, there's just nothing I can do. I can't make a difference at all. Well, you're right. We can't do everything. But I do believe we can do something. We can start in our little corner of the world and follow the commands of Jesus. 
Because Jesus said that the mission of the church and the one that we're all invited into, it's actually restated by in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. There it reads, Then Jesus came to them, that is, to his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so this passage is known as the Great Commission. And the command in it is actually to go and make disciples. But we do that as we go about just the ordinary routine of our lives. So the very thing that you do with your day, your work, is, is, a, is a place where you can express the mission of God in that specific area that you're called to. And Jesus also commanded this, he says in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you've spent any time in the church or maybe you went up through Sunday school, that would be a very familiar verse to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. But he adds this very quickly. He adds, and the second is like it. Almost puts it on par with loving God. And says, love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In Luke's gospel, it's chapter 10, if you want to read it this afternoon. Luke then records an exchange between the expert in the law and Jesus around this statement that he makes, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the expert in the law, the Bible says, well, he kind of wanted to justify himself. He kind of wanted to find some wiggle room around this. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then goes on to tell the story known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I don't have time this morning to get into all the details of it, but you should just know this, that to every Jew, the idea of a good Samaritan was totally outrageous. They couldn't almost conceive of such a thing. And so Jesus goes on and uses this despised people group to say, you know, um, Here's this caring, kind, compassionate person who responded to the needs of a man who'd been attacked by robbers. And at the end of it, we're left to discover that who is my neighbor is actually irrelevant. Because Jesus, by the end of the parable, shifts the emphasis so that the only question worth considering at the end of the story was not which person actually qualifies my neighbor, but rather what kind of neighbor am I? So I have a question for you. What if Jesus actually really meant what he said? You think he did? I do. Love your neighbors as yourselves. And it's not up to us to go and, and, and 
pick which neighbors we're going to love. We love everybody. And so it really comes back to us. Who are we loving? So I have another question. This one might be a little harder to answer. Would you like to have you as your neighbor? Would you like to have you as your neighbor? See, friends, I believe that we don't have to go very far to look for ways to join God in the work that he's doing. He's already at work in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our places of work. The people that we connect with regularly throughout our days, these are the people we are called to love. And that is simply living out the gospel, responding to the command of Jesus. So how do we go about doing this? Let me just give you four practical things that I hope you can kind of hang your hat on this morning. Think, I can do that. Because I believe this is totally accessible to every one of us. And the first thing that I think we can all do when it comes to this idea of being on mission, of loving our neighbor, is to be praying. So this message is about a place to be praying. Because the simple but essential task of praying for people around you. Asking God to help you love them if they're difficult to love. Asking God to show you practical ways that you can love. And so in our love, we're in fact guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to do the very things that he's called us to do. And our mission, let me be clear on this, is not to save people. You and I do not have that responsibility Salvation is the work of God, but he calls us simply to love first and foremost. That's it. Love your neighbor. I, I, I find Micah 6.8 to be just a great summary verse that I go to just as a reminder. Okay, I got so much crazy stuff going on in my life and COVID. How do I just, just boil it down to something that I can put a handle on? You know this verse probably, Micah 6, 8, to act justly. Okay, so God, what does that look like? How have you called me to be involved in acts of justice? Whether it's to partner with International Justice Mission or whether it's to participate in, with Refugee Bridge or what, what is the justice that you're asking me to respond to? And to love mercy. There it is again. I just, I just love mercy. That, that's, I'm going to walk in that. But actually, I'm going to walk humbly with God. Man, if we would pray that, God, just help me to see where you want justice. Help me to see where I can bring mercy. Help me to just walk humbly before you and dependent upon you. And here's something really practical that we can all do. And it's just to simply start by praying for your neighborhood. When you're out for a walk today or any day, don't just kind of, you know, put the tunes on or podcast. None of those are bad. Maybe if you can multitask, that's fine. But just go and start praying house after house in all directions from your home. And pray for the people there. Pray that God might give you opportunity to get to know them. I'll talk about that a little bit. But just being out, walking in our communities, and putting something to good use there when we're praying for the people that live in these homes. That's pretty straightforward, right? Easy to do? 
So let's do it. The second thing that we need to do is to be present. You see, the gift that we can give to our neighbors is our presence. We're just there, available, quick to respond to the needs that we see. We've been praying that God would open our eyes to see the needs, and when we see them, we take on one of two postures. The first is just a posture of a missionary. See, when a missionary goes from Canada or wherever overseas to another mission field, which is entirely part of God's mission as well, but we're not all called to pack up our bags and go overseas and sacrifice and leave our families and everything else. But we can take on that posture of a, of, a, of a missionary because when you stop and think, but what does a missionary do? They often go to these new places and they first have to learn the culture. They have to learn the language. They have to learn the customs of, of the local area that they're in. They just become comfortable in that environment. And so in the same way, we need to become comfortable with the culture of our communities. We need to get to know our neighbor and view whether it's our work or the places that we live as our mission field. And so think about your neighbors. Do you know the context of your neighbors? Do you know where the kids live and what home they're from when they're riding up and down the streets? Do you know which, which homes have, have university students heading off to, to school and suddenly the, the parents are at home empty nesters kind of wondering what to do now? Or maybe somebody is new to the city or they just moved into your home. And you, you know what? I'm going to be the first. Because if you kind of miss that first opportunity to take like a, a meal to them when they've just moved into the community, like three months later, it's a little bit awkward because you kind of miss the opportunity. But if you just say, hey, I, I know that you're new. I don't know anything about you. Are you new to the city? Can I, can I help you with some details that maybe you don't know yet? And you just strike up a conversation. You discover that wife is pregnant. They're soon-to-be parents. Maybe you discover that it's a young adult who just graduated, has a degree, they're looking for a job, and you start to engage in that, and you realize, going, you know what? You should call so-and-so at such-and-such a place, because I know them. I think they're looking for engineers or nurses or whatever it might be. Or maybe you discover they're in the hospital. Have you had this happen to you before, where you're woken up in the middle of the night and you've heard sirens and they come to you, to, you know, down your street, and you get up to look because you're like, oh, what's going on? And they pull over to your, you know, couple doors down, and you're like, oh, I've never met them. I don't know. I wonder what's going on. And then maybe the next day you're like, do you guys know what happened? And everybody's trying to figure out what happened. But if you already know them, you go and knock on the door, and maybe it's an elderly couple, and and. The wife opens the door and you're like, is everything okay? I couldn't help but notice an ambulance came last night. It's these simple acts of engagement that are ways that we can engage in mission. And there's so many other examples that I have that I'm not going to all go into. But So we take on a posture of missionary where we just get to know the people, the people that are around us. And secondly then, we take on a posture of care. We're quick to care for the needs, where we, we seek to help one another out, where maybe we share resources. Maybe we have a snowblower and we can lo- lend it to, to our neighbor, or even better yet, go and do it for them. Uh, when, when Tina and I, we were fairly newly married, uh, maybe three years, and she had moved from Cleveland uh, to join me in ministry in Calgary, and then we were called to a church in Ontario. And we went through this big process of, of going out there and looking for a home. We thought we found 
rented a home, and it was a private deal, but we just didn't have this peace about it. And, uh, and so we said no to that, and that kind of left us nomads for a while, and we got this temporary apartment. It was kind of frustrating because we really wanted to settle and put down our roots. And, and uh, a few months later, we ended up finding, being placed in this perfect home on this street, and uh, of course, and um, directly across the street from us was a, was a couple, Wayne and Donna. They had adopted a little uh, an Asian girl, and um, just a little older than our kids. And next to them were Joe and Mary, a senior couple. And next to us were Frank and Lisa and their three kids. And some of them were close to our kids in age. And the kids just always played out on the streets together. And we'd pull our chairs out. We'd sit on the driveway and we'd engage in conversation. And, and it, was just, it was just us just being there. And, and before long, uh, there, there was difficulty in one of the marriages, and there was a separation and a divorce, and so then I took on doing some of their, their sidewalk. Joe and Mary, the senior couple, they had a snowblower, and so they let me use the snowblower, and I did all four driveways. And, I, and I'm not saying this because, like, oh, look at me, you know, it's kind of sad that I have to go back 15 years or longer. But through that, these incredible relationships and that, that just developed. And, and when our neighbor went through an incredibly difficult time in, their li- in her life, um, her husband committed suicide. And six o'clock in the morning, we're the first person that she calls. And I remember I barely had my pants on as I'm running across the street. And, and just walking through this incredibly tragic moment in her life. But then to walk with her, and that deepened her faith. And through that challenge and the time of suffering, and I had the joy of baptizing her. And later, she, she met a great guy, and they're re, she got remarried. And, and you know, it, it's, just, it's just being there for people. That's all God's calling us to do. And so can I give you a challenge? I was talking with our staff this week, and Ann just said, he goes, you know, it has to be something tangible. Like, like do the 15-minute challenge. Can you spend 15 minutes on your driveway or your front porch where you might actually have an opportunity to engage in conversation with your neighbors? Just be outside. Be accessible. We're talking here about neighboring, <laughs> not just friending. Because sometimes we think, oh, I got a whole bunch of friends. I got lots of relationship with big family. Now you're asking me to build a relationship with the people next door. No, I'm just saying, just care for them. And sometimes your neighbors might become your friends, but most of the time, they just need you to be a good neighbor. Now, you may not even like your neighbor, but you're called to love them. Because just to the other side of our neighbor, we had this four little house block. Jerry lived next door. And Jerry was mean and grumpy and, and just one of these old guys that, you know, when the kids were playing road hockey and the ball would go on his lawn, he would yell at them when they went to retrieve it. I even asked Anna, go, what was our neighbor's name again? Oh, Jerry goes, yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, mean Jerry, right? Some 15 years later when she was a little girl, she was, you know, but we got to love Jerry's, okay? Just don't be a Jerry. <sighs> You see, um, I'll share more of that in another way. So thirdly, let's be prepared. 
Be prepared. So you're praying, you're present to your neighbors, and you're prepared. Prepared for what, you might ask? Well, before I answer that question, let me just remind you that all we're talking about is how we would live out the gospel in our own lives. This is what I mean. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus, we're invited to live in God's kingdom. And as a result, we live on mission. We might say missional living. And this is about the priority of living out the message of the kingdom. And it's just so basic, it almost feels like a a cop-out. But the most important missional strategy is Christians living Christianly. The gospel is an invitation to walk in a new way of life. We experience new life, a transformed life. And if how we live is compelling and attractive, remember the picture of that early church, then we should always be prepared to tell our story and give a reason for our joy and for our hope. This is what Peter's getting at when he writes in 1 Peter 3.15, which was also one of the passages that was read earlier. It says, always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You see, we don't start with that. But we start by first praying, asking God to open doors, being present in people's lives, assuming this posture of care Then people might ask, what is it about you? There's something different. Why do you have hope? That's what we need to be prepared for. To have those spiritual conversations, to be able to tell our story. And I think due to COVID-19 right now, we've got so many opportunities. Not just on the, the being present side and being there to meet practical needs. But even to have the conversation about fear and how, as a believer, we can have hope. Friends, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear COVID. I know that none of us want to leave this earth earlier than we ever thought we would. But you know what? Someday it's going to happen in some way to all of us. And the issue is, is are we prepared for that And then are we prepared to give an answer when somebody asks us for the hope that we have? I'm okay. I know where I'm going. (laughs) Peter adds, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we simply share the gospel through our loving actions and we're prepared to share our story. That's it. We just let God sort out the rest. But I think it requires one last thing. Be persevering. I wasn't even thinking about this, and Adam had shared some ideas with me, and I thought, yeah, that's absolutely true. Because we need to just stick to this. Because loving your neighbor can be a hard work. It might be a long time until you ever have those spiritual conversations about hope. You might have a jerry for a neighbor, and you don't really like it. Or there's a really tough situation, but you know that you're called to love, to get involved, to step in and help out. And all we're asked to do is just to stick it out. That's what it means to persevere. To be determined to this cause. Today is actually the day for the annual Terry Fox run. You want to talk about someone who persevered. 
I had to refresh my memory even of, of what he did. I mean, I, I knew it. I was in grade seven when the Marathon of Hope was happening. And here's this Canadian hero, this icon who had lost his leg to cancer. And then to raise money for cancer research, he decides, I'm going to run across Canada on, on one good leg and, and uh, a prosthetic leg. He ran 3,339 miles. It's like over 5,000 kilometers for 143 straight days, which meant he ran close to a marathon a day. Can we wrap our minds around that? I, I know there's a few people in this room that have run marathons. If you had to get up and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, can you imagine? But he persevered. He pushed through until he got two-thirds of the way across the country. And he had to stop running just outside of Thunder Bay because his cancer had spread to his lungs. And eventually that cancer would take his life. 1980. Forty years later. The first year, his hope was maybe to raise a million dollars. That was kind of what he thought he could do. And once he ended up in the hospital, CTV Network picked it up and threw a telephone. And in that next week, they raised actually $10 million in that first year. And now, every year, millions of people in close to 25 countries participate in Terry Fox runs. And over the past 40 years, there have been more than $800 million raised. I mean, hardly a school kid in Canada goes through school without knowing about Terry Fox, and rightfully so. Think of the perseverance. Think of the determination. Regardless of the cost to oneself. Oh, may we, with God's help, for his sake, for his glory, do the same when it comes to being on mission. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the encouragement, the challenge the reminder that we received this morning to be people who are praying, people who are present, a people who are prepared, and a people who are persevering. Because it's so worth it. And you've invited us to be partners in this great mission. So God, open our eyes so that we can see where you're already at work and give us courage to step into those places that you've called us to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray.